Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. We are honored and blessed today to have a guest speaker who has been here before and has blessed us in the sharing of the word. He has a very impressive resume, which I'll not bore you with, but he has been a very successful pastor, very successful church planter. He is a world ambassador traveling all over the world to uh, work on initiatives of peace on behalf of the kingdom of God. He is a mentor to many leaders. He's a director of several worldwide organizations, and he's a multiplier of the kingdom of God. I listened to him at a couple meetings last year here in this building, and as equally as I was impressed with his resume, I was more impressed on the heart that he has for God and the love that he has for God and the passion through Christ he has for people who don't know him all around the world. I'm reminded in James chapter 2, verse 23, that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous, and he was called a friend of God. Covenant Church family, I do believe we have a friend of God to share the word of God with us this morning. Please welcome, if you will, Dr. Bob Roberts. Thank you, David. It is good to be with you today. Last week, I was in Los Cabos, Mexico. That's Baja, California. That's where this little hurricane called Hillary started. And so, literally, the last day of our trip, my prayer was, God, get us out of here so I can get back to Texas, so I can get to West Virginia, uh, because I wasn't sure. Uh, I mean, so we were doing everything that we could to get out of the path of that hurricane. My wife's never been in a hurricane. Uh, we're from North Texas, and so we've been a lot of tornadoes, but never a hurricane. But as a little boy, my dad pastored a little church on the Gulf Coast, and we went through several. And she began to ask me about it, and literally, they would open up the churches in the community on, on the Gulf of Mexico. And we would literally, I can't remember the name of the hurricane, but I remember at least on two occasions as a little boy going in to the church. And th they were very small churches, nothing like this. But there would be mats in the hallways. And we would literally, uh, they would cook stew because they knew for three or four days it was really going to be bad. Everybody wanted to get out of the way of a hurricane. And, you know, there's been so many natural disasters lately, when you look at it. Uh, in Hawaii, the horrible fire that took place. There, there's, there's at least a thousand people unaccounted for. A thousand. Let that sink in. Uh, they, they've identified at least 112 so far. And when we see disaster coming, we want to get out of the way as quick as we can. We don't want to get caught up in it. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you do if you can't get out of the way of the disaster? 
What if you're like a homing beacon for that disaster? There's nothing you can do. Well, as somebody who's been in war zones and faced disaster, hurricanes and faced disasters, tornadoes and faced disasters, and some other things and, and faced disasters, sometimes you have to calmly be still. And that's hard to do because you want to run. We face a lot of disasters. As a pastor, I walk through people that I loved with all my heart, even family members, through divorce, through death, through cancer, through many different things. And, and we would do everything we could to escape those things. You know what I've discovered? You can really tell who knows Jesus or not by how they handle things when they're in a disaster. You really can. And, and I hate to say it, but the truth of the matter is, a lot of times, there's not a lot of difference between believers and non-believers and how we handle disasters. But there ought to be. There ought to be a fundamental difference. Now, I'm not a preacher of gloom and doom, but as Dave and I were driving uh, from the airport here yesterday, we began to talk. And I'm asked this frequently because I'm with a lot of world leaders and so forth, and they'll always say, Bob, around the world, what do you see? What's happening? And, and I'll tell you what I honestly believe. We're coming into one of the most destabilized seasons that we have known for decades. I think in some ways it's even more destabilizing than World War I and World War II and Vietnam and all of those because whether we were right or wrong on some of those issues, there was an idea what right and wrong was, and we stood together. That's gone. That's gone. I mean, if you're not in this political party, then you're not a Christian. That's crazy, but there are people that believe that. All the Christians go to this party or that party. That's just crazy. Don't, don't buy into that stuff. Have your political views. Be wise. Amen? But, but don't listen to that. I hate to tell you this. I got friends of six political parties in this country, and they're all filled with the Spirit, and they know Jesus. Now, now why do I tell you that? Because I'm telling you, we're coming into a destabilized period, and no one knows what to do. And those who do know what to do don't have the courage to do it. Because if they do what needs to be done, it'll create a lot of tension among their own tribal members. And so we can't count on the politicians because they want to get elected. We can't count on religious leaders sometimes because they just want to grow their church. So they're not going to say what needs to be said. And we're the statesmen. We're the wise people. We're the courageous people. They're there. They're there. You may not hear their voices right now, but they're there. And as things become more difficult, those voices will become the voices that people lean on. Does it break your heart that a mile down the road, 23,000 people lost their lives in the Civil War, and yet tragically, this country has still yet to resolve the issue that all men are created equal? Does that break your heart a little bit? Does it make you sad? 
How many of you know we got race challenges in our country? Can I see your hands? I don't care what your position is on the Second Amendment. How many of you know we got a gun problem in this country? Raise your hand. I'm from Texas. I got six of them. Listen to me. We got a gun problem in this country. Parents are fearful of sending their kids to public schools. There are people in my church that have taken their kids out of the public schools. Guns. Then we have crazy stuff that's being taught in schools. Keep religion out of schools, and yet we're being inundated by the secular society with all of their morals and their values coming. How do you, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with this? There was a time in our country when whoever was elected president was everybody's president. Not anymore. We've become like those third-rate countries. It's winner take all and destroy the other person. And, and what's tragic is this is not just an American phenomenon. This is a phenomenon that's happening around the world. Most Americans don't realize this. But the same racism that we see here is taking place around the world. The same tribalism, the same polarization, the bent towards autocratic leaders, which happens when times are difficult. People are looking for a savior. It's built inside of all humanity. We need a savior. Let that sink in. The problem is we think we can elect them. Any savior that you can elect ain't your savior. The only Savior is the one who came dealt from heaven, left it all, because he knew we couldn't do anything for ourselves. And if God doesn't come through, it ain't going to happen. I worry about the kind of Christians that we have produced. What would you do if war came to your land? This week, I've been texted from Sudan and Pakistan by pastors and religious leaders. Their churches are born, burned. They're, they're losing their lives. Persecution for the gospel is massive. Just this week, in India, Myanmar, Pakistan, Sudan, Sudan. Listen to me. There is not a day that there are not hundreds, if not thousands of people that are losing their lives for one simple reason. They follow Jesus. What would it be like to be a Christian in the Middle East right now in Syria? They're there. Bible-believing, Jesus-loving evangelicals just like you. In Syria, they're a minority, but they're there. What would it be like to follow Jesus in that context? Could you do that? Could you not give up on your faith? Could you hold tight? What would it be like to follow Jesus in Sudan where the militant Muslims are coming to your church to burn it down, to cut your children's legs off? This is a real story. Somebody I know, it's just happened to, to for them to have to watch as extremists amputate the legs and arms of your own children and then gouge out your eyes. Could, could you endure that? Would it be, what would it be like to face poverty where you really didn't know where your next meal was coming from? What would it be like, hey men, what would it be like to be the father of a family and your responsibility is to protect and provide 
But you don't know where it's coming from. You don't have the money. You don't have the food. And they're looking to you. My heart broke as I listened to one of the men in Hawaii as he began to sob. He said, literally, my family had to jump out of our car and into the ocean. And we floated in the ocean for over 12 hours. And the waves would come and pull my kids away. And I'd have to swim out and get them. And I was afraid the whole time they weren't going to make it. Now, that I've depressed you really good, I want to ask you a question. What kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian are you? I, I would push against being an American Christian because you could get in a lot of trouble there. An American Christian is all about God making my dreams come true making sure he gets me with the perfect marriage partner, making sure that he gives me a nice house, making sure that I make a good salary, making sure that, that I don't have any problems, making sure that it's blessed me, blessed me, blessed me. Well, what if he's blessed you even in those circumstances? So as you think about moving to the next level as a church, and I know that's on Joel's heart, what does it mean for this church to go to the next level? I want to start with the most fundamental question, and that's this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean? And I don't want to talk to lost people. I want to talk to saved people. Because if you saved, quote, saved people, get it right, you won't have enough time in your services to baptize all the lost people that want to live like you're living. The problem with the gospel is not how it's preached but how it's lived. How do we live this gospel? We understand the gospel as an experience where we accept Christ, so it changes our eternal destiny. Praise God for that. Amen? I don't want to go to hell, do you? I believe hell is real. There's no doubt in my mind about it. As much as I believe heaven is real, the same Bible tells me hell is real. I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want anybody I know going to hell. Watched what went on in Hawaii. I don't want anyone to spend an eternity like that. So I'm glad we accept Christ. But it's not just enough to accept him. We've got to walk in the fullness, the pattern of Jesus. And that's impossible to do. Which is why we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. It's impossible. That's why so many of you are struggling. Can I just tell you? That's why the Christian life doesn't work. And guys, just because you speak in tongues, and I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but just because you speak in tongues or see miraculous things doesn't mean you walk in the Spirit. A lot of people want an experience of the filling of the Spirit, but the key is walking in the fullness of the Spirit every single day. Walking in the fullness of that Spirit. So if you're going to live the Christian life, accept Him as your Savior, not just go to heaven, but experience it now. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. To do what? To be a kingdom disciple. So I want to talk to you about the most fundamental, basic message of Jesus, which is the kingdom of God. It's what John the Baptist preached. It's what Jesus preached. If you don't get the kingdom, you're not going to get it. And this is why so many Christians can go to church but live such defeated lives. They don't understand the pattern. And because they don't understand the pattern, they don't know how they're supposed to live. And because they don't know how they're supposed to live, they do it in the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit. The Christian life is so radical, 
the Holy Spirit is not optional equipment. It is the necessary presence of God within you to live his life. You can't do it on your own. Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, same thing, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I'd like to prepare you for walking through destabilized times. I'd like to prepare you this morning for what does it mean to live the Christian life when all hell breaks loose and you don't know what's going to happen. And the way that you have to do that is to be this kingdom Christian and then and only then does it work. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 17, 20, and I promise I'm going to quit on time, but I want you to listen all the time, all right? So listen to verse 20. Now, he was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming. Now, now, what was their understanding of the kingdom of God? It was simply this, that God would shut up, set up shop on earth. And so Jerusalem was the capital of heaven on earth. And the temple was the place of God's dwelling. It's very important to understand. And when God came and ruled and reigned, then everybody would follow his law and order and it would make sense, and we could all walk with him. But they still understood it primarily as a context of law and rule and order, and that's part of it. But Jeremiah says there's going to be a new covenant. Remember what that covenant is? He's going to write the laws on the hearts of the people. I once sat in a room with Jewish, Christian, and Muslim leaders in Iran, and they began to say of us Christians, they said, you Christians don't have a Sharia. You don't have a Jewish law to tell you how to act. You've not made any contribution to this. When all of a sudden a Jewish rabbi spoke up before I could say a word, and he said, no, you don't understand. Christianity, they do believe in law and order, but they believe that what happens is it's a change of their heart. And that rabbi said, the problem with our religions is we have the laws, but we don't have the hearts of the people. Christian, when it works right, it gets the heart, and then the laws flow. I thought, man, you want me to baptize you? They all started laughing right then and there. I said, ditto. Next question. You can't answer it any better than that. Following Jesus is a matter of the heart. And he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed. So he's pushing back on them. And they're also thinking about the second coming. We're going to see that in a minute, when everything breaks loose. Nor will they say, look, he is here, or there he is, for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, that's been translated many ways. It's in your midst. It's among you. And it is within you. Now, which translation is right? All of them. The kingdom of God that came with the coming of Jesus. They understood the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. But it was unfulfilled, waiting for the Messiah. Once the Messiah comes, now the kingdom is inaugurated. That's why John the Baptist is preaching the kingdom of God. It's why Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God. And what is the response? Repent. In other words, you're not just going to stop sinning. That's what we say repentance is. But it's like a 90-year-old pastor taught me. Repentance is not just turning away from something. It's turning 
to something, turning away from sin to God, from sin to righteousness, from Satan to God. It's a turn. So you don't go absent. You fill it with something, and it's with God. So it's switching your gods, Satan, yourself, to Jesus being on the throne. So Jesus is coming, and so the kingdom is present because the Messiah is now in the midst. He's among you. It's present because it's going to come into your heart. Have you ever wondered why Matthew starts his gospel off with the Sermon on the Mount, and then the rest is basically parables explaining the Sermon on the Mount because it's saying, this is how to live. Guys, let me just tell you something. If you don't want to live a Christian life where it's full and it's meaningful, I cannot convince you of that. It's a waste of my time. I may fire you up, tell you a story about Lassie getting hit by a car and get you crying and emotional, make a decision. But if you're really going to last, if you're really going to last in your walk with God, and there's going to be some depth, there's going to be some maturity, there's going to be some endurance to it, that's going to have to come from you. All of God's grace does everything necessary for you to receive what he's done. But you have to make that choice. Do you want it within you or not? And so when Jesus is coming, he's saying, it's a matter of your heart. That's why one of the first parables, the key to all the rest, is the soil. Remember the parable of the soils? One was thorny, one was rocky, uh, uh, one got caught up by the cares of the world, and one was good soil. Your heart is your soil. What kind of soil is your heart? Do you want to receive the word? And see, once you receive the word, you're forever changed. See, here's what we've done. Here's what we've preachers done. We've made this mistake. We've made it so much about accepting Christ that we forgot it's about living for Christ. We've made it so much about going to heaven with you die that we forgot that we're to be bringing heaven on earth in this moment as we live. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so basically we've separated church from the whole of life. And as a result of that, that's why church has so little impact on us because we come to church on Sundays, do our church stuff, and the rest of the week, we do the rest of our life. No, 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 no. That's not what it was meant. So when the kingdom comes, it's to be inside your heart, within you, everything that's there. So the kingdom is within you, in your midst. In your midst. So when we think about the kingdom being in your midst, This is why the Beatitudes are there. This is the heart of the person. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, hey, let me give you a little little, uh, exercise this week. Read the the book of Matthew. It's only 28 chapters. Read about four or five a day. You'll get through it and think about it. Just circle the verses. Read Matthew as as a test. Do I really know Jesus? Is my life like this? Because it has a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and the rest are basically parables about the kingdom of God. What does it mean? Here's the essence of what the kingdom of God is. It's how the Christian life works. It's what a disciple is. It's what a Christian is. Yes, it's the rule and reign of God, but what does that look like inside of me? How do I live that stuff? And why do I need the Holy Spirit? It becomes a part of us. My wife got real upset with me. Very sentimental guy. I lost my wedding ring that I'd had for 40 years and couldn't find it. I mean, I just looked all over. And I, I'm, I'm a very sentimental guy. She tried to buy me one and I wouldn't do it. So, because I wanted to find it, I was just optimistic that 
it had fell inside one of my boots or it was on a shelf or it was in my, my tackle box. Something had happened. I, I did everything I knew to find it. But after two years, I couldn't. And she got upset with me this last week because we were going to Los Cabos on vacation and have that little rubber band thing that I wear. You, you guys wear them, you know, that travel a lot so you don't get them lost again. And so she, she just said, you, you need a wedding ring. I said, well, why do you want me to have one? Are you scared I'm going to have an affair with some woman? Or is it because you're sad I don't have the ring? She never did answer my question. <laughs> but, I, but, but she said, I'll tell you what, and I've bought her jewelry before. We're going to find you a wedding ring. I'm a pretty non-traditional guy. So I wanted this one. You know why I wanted this one? It, 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 and after I bought it, she got mad at me. She said, that ain't no wedding ring. You know, it's supposed to be a wedding band. I said, who said? Does anybody have a wedding ring like this? I'm just curious. Is she right or wrong? She, 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 she just tells me this doesn't work. It's not expensive, but it's silver. And I got excited because I was told it's, it's, it's the... I, I love the story of St. Christopher. And I've given my kids those medals. We give our church planters those medals. I tell them the story of St. Christopher. I just love it so much. And so, I mean, the guy said... He, in very broken English, he was Mexican, I was in Mexico, and he goes, oh, St. Christopher medal. He heard me say something about St. Christopher. And I said, that doesn't look like St. Christopher medal. He said, no, this is the explanation of it behind the, the thing that you always see. And I thought, man, well, I'm not Catholic, so he could sell me a bill of goods, you know? And I thought, well, man, he's, that's right. So I said, Nikki, this is the one. We got to get this one because y'all all have St. Christopher's medal, and I'm married, and it reminds me of Jesus. And do you know what I did? I got home, and I started Googling it. This is not St. Christopher's Creed. That Mexican guy lied to me about a saint. He going to Catholic hell. I just upset me so much. So do you know who this is? It's Dominique. No, it's Benedict. St. Benedict. So I had to Google who was Benedict. So I did. And I started telling Nikki, well... This is supposed to keep uh, temptation and women away from you. She started liking it more. This is, this is going to keep the devil. This is no joke. It, it's inscribed on the edges. It, it says, get behind me, Satan. It's a, one for spiritual warfare. It's one to protect you when you go into unsafe things and all this stuff. It's with you when you die. It's with you when people are born. So, you know, she said, okay. So I put on this ring. She doesn't like it. She's mad at me. So I'm going to have to go get another wedding ring. You know, one that looks more like a wedding ring. Something boring. Maybe like yours. I don't know. Something boring. I'm not happy about it. I like this one. Don't y'all? Doesn't that look good? I mean, that looks like a man's ring, doesn't it? One of those little thin, skinny woman things. I don't want that on my hand. It's from Texas. But she's probably going to win. Let me tell you something. That wedding ring is important because it's a statement that I make that I belong to somebody. And the person who I'm wearing the ring of, it's a reminder of them. They're mine. You know what the kingdom of God is? It's Jesus saying, he's mine. She's mine. This is how I want them to live. Kingdom of God is within you. Second thing, the kingdom of God is extended beyond the church. It's extended beyond the church. Sometimes we get the idea the kingdom of heaven all takes place inside the church. No, 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 no. 
This should be for equipping, celebration, worship, strategy, special events that you do, whether it's to reach lost people or concerts and worship together. The kingdom, to have power, functions outside the church, outside the four walls of the church. Do you get that? So that when you go to that class where you're teaching school or that body shop that you work at or the hair parlor or whatever job you do, the kingdom is present because you're present. And how you live and how you act and how you care for people. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 9, he went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, listen about this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to live your life fully. I hear people all the time, I want to work with Christians. Why? They're already going to heaven. Why? They ought to be just like you. You weren't called to be concentrate. You were called to be salt and light. 80% of my time is now with non-Christians. I love it. Do you know I pray all the time with non-Christians? I'm, I'm around them too much. So when I'm there and there's a crisis, I mean, it's not unusual. I'll just start praying if a Muslim or a Jew, I don't care. Well, they don't believe your religion. I don't care. My religion doesn't stop when I get in the presence of another religion. People freak out. How can you be friends with such lost people? That's easy. I grew up in Texas. I mean, we go to church and we're mean as hell. I mean, that's just a good Texan. Amen? Is that right? I mean, that's West Virginia. Y'all are nice. But in Texas, we'll shoot you. And we don't believe you can make a decision when you're dead. So you're going to heaven or hell, whatever you already decided. Here's what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven is not just for you on the inside, but it's for those outside. And it extends beyond the church. I love the phrasing and the words that are used to describe the church. It's ecclesia. It's the idea of the government of God. It's like God's cabinet. And it's like we are all ambassadors of a kingdom. Did you know that? The ecclesia, when the Romans would go in and they would take over a part of the world, they would send an ecclesia, a colony, like ambassadors. That's why Paul is writing that we're ambassadors for Christ. So you're going into that area and you're living the gospel. You're modeling Christianity. You're modeling the truth so that it all looks like it needs to look. Here's the third thing. The kingdom of God overlaps the world. Stop thinking about America being a Christian nation and think more about the church being a true Christian church. And we will affect this country more for good in a positive way morally than all the political organizing we could ever do. There's enough Christians in this country. If we would just live it, it would change the whole face of this country. Guys, we don't have a right to expect politicians to be the spiritual barometer of this country. That's our job. That's my job. In my community, 
where I live, what I'm doing, how I live. The whole idea is that, yes, do I want there to be Christian values in America? Of course I do. But guys, let me tell you something. There are many nations, tribes, and tongues. And here's the good news. The gospel flourishes even in ungodly regimes. Did you know that? The gospel is exploding all over places in the world with ungodly leaders. And the church is flourishing because you don't have to wait to have a, quote, Christian nation for Christianity to work. As a matter of fact, Christianity tends to work better when the government doesn't endorse it than when the government does endorse it. You know, there's a little something we call freedom of religion in America. We learn that from our European history that many of us came from. We realize that faith should not be controlled by the government. There's, there's got to be that separate. When faith is forced to live on its own, it will flourish or it'll die. But either way, it'll be real. I'm all over the world. God is at work in Sudan, Pakistan. You pick the country where all hell is breaking loose. There are people following Jesus and standing for him. Here's the last thing, and I'm finished. The kingdom of God, first of all, is within you. Second of all, it extends beyond the church. Third of all, it overlaps the world in every nation. And finally, the kingdom of God frames how we exist. How we exist. Those beatitudes, being poor in spirit, being peacemakers, being humble, being broken before God. It frames how we see everything. So when a crisis comes, or COVID, there ought to be a fundamental difference in how I as a Christian respond versus a non-Christian. So that when I face cancer, so that when I face a horrible tragedy, something beyond my ability, some of you have had a spouse walk out on you. It wasn't your fault. There's nothing you could have done. Some of you have experienced things. It was beyond your ability to control those circumstances, but you stayed standing. I tweeted this morning, or X'd, whatever you call it these days. If you want to know what a real Christian looks like, wait until the pep rally's over. See who's left standing. I just want to ask you one simple question. Are you serious about your faith? Live in the kingdom. I'm going to ask you right now just to enter a spirit of prayer and quietness before God. The worship team and the prayer partners are going to come. And you may need to go to one of these crosses or come to the front. It looks like there's a kneeling bench down there. And you know, we're the body of Christ. We're encouraging one another. You might need to say, God, I want to be one of those Christians that can stand regardless of what happens. Amen? I want to be one of those Christians so that when all hell breaks loose, if we're going to live for the next 40 or 60 years in an unstable time, I want to be able to know that God is with me and I am with him. And as David said, though he slay me, yet, yet, I will worship him. Amen? Guys, this, this really is not your home. We've got an attachment to it, but our stronger attachment is to Jesus. You get attached to him, you're going to face it. 
My dad's very sick. I don't know how much longer he'll be here on this earth. But he will not die. His body may. He won't live for something bigger than the skin on your body or your wallet. Live for that which has true meaning and true life. Could we just sing, however y'all do it, prayer partners, would y'all go to the crosses at the front and let's just pray. Let's just give Jesus all of our hearts. Father, we love you and we want to follow you and we want to count for you. So I just ask you this morning to help us to examine who we are in Christ and are we willing to follow you with all that we've got. It's my prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.